0: Elephant Tales podcast from Wildlife SOS, where we bring you the intimate stories and behind-the-scenes perspectives with the people working to save India's wildlife. I'm Rachel Hinman, your guest host for this episode of Elephant Tales. I recently participated in the incredible volunteer program at Wildlife SOS, and before I left, I had the honor of sitting down with co-founder Kardik Satyanarayan at the Elephant Conservation and Care Center. Today, you'll hear Cardig and I discuss some of the challenges that Wildlife SOS has faced and overcome throughout the years, while working to protect and preserve India's sloth bears, elephants, and many more. Now, this interview was originally released on my own podcast series, A Will and A Way, where I travel the world to meet with founders, activists, and advocates all fighting to change the fate of animals on this planet. On each episode, we step into the worlds of those who are speaking up, standing up, and showing up for the animal kingdom. You can find A Will and A Way, however you listen to podcasts, and please be sure to subscribe. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Cardick as much as I did. Thank you so much for listening, and let's begin. I just want to say after being here for the last week, I am in just sheer awe of the magnitude of everything. Not just the amount of animals, but the amount of people working here, uh, the amount of work that needs to be done, the resources, the food, the cleaning, the scrubbing, the chopping, the everything. It's it's just incredible. How many people do you have working here?
1: Well, all together, I think at Wildlife SOS we have three hundred and fifty-six people. Oh my god! Something like that.
0: I believe you said about forty percent of the staff is former Kalander.
1: So, out of all the staff that we employ at Wildlife mm-hmm. SOS, about forty percent of the staff are from tribal communities that Ooh. used to exploit animals in the past. And so when we rehabilitated the animals, we also rehabilitated the people. Mm -hmm. And we made sure that every family had an alternative livelihood mechanism by which they did not need to exploit those animals anymore. So they work on our team as, um, you know, grounds maintenance, you know, um, in the horticulture division or in the maintenance division. And eventually when we feel that the community members that we've recruited have... Overcome their past memories and links to animals, and they feel differently about these animals, and and we can trust them uh, with animal care. That is when they move towards enclosure cleaning, enclosure maintenance, Mm. you know, cleaning the vessels and stuff like that. It's a long journey. They don't get to work with animals um, quickly. It takes Mm -hmm. uh, it takes a while for us to have the confidence uh, to let them work with animals. And once we have helped them unlearn their past methods uh, and have learned and we've ensured that they've learned humane methods of managing animals. That's Mm -hmm. when they get into the animal maintenance areas. Even then, they work under the supervision of people that we, we absolutely have confidence with. So one thing that we absolutely will not tolerate in wildlife SOS is cruelty to animals or any kind of abuse to animals that are in our care whatsoever.
0: It's so interesting because you're it's, you're cultivating dignity not just for the animals but for the people too, and I think that's it's such like a important model for people to look at, even just looking up at how you guys were able to literally eradicate the practice of uh, dancing sloth bears, and in order to eradicate something, I mean you really had to break the chain, and how you break the chain is with the people.
1: Yes, uh, the the whole process of. Mm. Uh, bringing an end to a 400-year-old barbaric practice of dancing mm-hmm. bears was quite a challenge because when we started out doing that, you know, nobody believed it was even possible. It was perceived as a highly controversial subject, something that would take 50 years or more to resolve because it involved a minority community, it involved wild animals, it involved livelihoods. And poverty mm-hmm. and things like that, and so everybody we spoke with said, "Oh well, that's a nightmare." I mean, it might take uh, your whole lifetime to to fix this. And we said, "Well, we'll try." I mean, the worst that can happen is we'd fail. That's the worst. So we'd give it our best shot. And when we started out, it was it was a huge challenge. You know, we we started out by doing a, you know a two year study. Uh, sorry, we started out by doing an eighteen month study a research project on trying to find out more about uh, the sloth bears that were with this community called the Kalandars. And it took a lot of digging, investigative research to find out more. And what we found out was quite shocking because everybody believed that the bears were just with these people and traditionally they just bred them in their backyard and they had babies and stuff like that. But we shattered all those myths when we started digging deeper. Mm -hmm. And we found out that every single family... That depended on these bears for a livelihood were purchasing them from poachers and illegal traffickers. So there were hundreds of bears across India that were being used on the streets for begging.
0: So the bears that were poached for, uh, uh, for dancing, they have their teeth ripped out when they're babies,
1: right? Yes, when the sloth bears are poached from their mothers and taken away, the first thing that's done to them is about three men hold down this baby bear and they take a metal rod and smash out its teeth so they can't get bitten. And after that, they hold it down and this baby is squealing and screaming. And I've seen this in the past and it's been so difficult to not take action immediately. And this is one of the things that forced us to make a difference and, and, you know, launch ourselves into this, you know, to make a difference and help these bears, was that these three men hold down this bear cub and then they have a fourth man usually gets a long poker and puts it on a fire till it's red hot. And then imagine that red hot poker is then put into, inserted into the muzzle of the delicate baby bear. And you can, you can hear the skin burning. You can smell it and it just goes through. And then the baby bear is, of course, Scream. screaming. Oh. And, that's, and then a thick a rough rope is then thrust through that hole. And that poor bear is in excruciating pain and agony. For for the rest of its life, it lives at the end of a four-foot-long rope after that. And so you
0: witnessed this when you are doing undercover work, during the research time?
1: Yes, when we were doing undercover work, we had to witness this, and we couldn't blow our cover. We couldn't react. We had to just look and pretend like it didn't affect us at all. And it was one of the challenging things... It was one of the most challenging things I've ever had to do, which is bite down on my tongue, keep my emotions, and, you know, almost look like it did not affect me at all. And this community historically entered India from Persia about, you know, 400 years ago. uh, And they were primarily entertainers of the Mughal uh, emperors and uh, primarily for their harem. So the women weren't allowed to go out and... Be seen or be viewed by other people, so they would stay inside the ramparts of the fort, and uh, these these people from the Kalandar community would take their bears and their monkeys and go to the to the base of the fort and then do performances with their bears to entertain the the harem of Ooh. the emperors and That was kind of the history of this whole thing and When we were working with the Kalandar community, we stayed in you know several of the villages over seventy two villages we visited, stayed there. Uh, built their confidence, got their uh, trust in us. It took us a long time to build trust with this community because they were highly insecure, they were frightened, they were scared, they weren't sure that they could trust us. Mm -hmm. So we started by, and and we realized that they had a really bad deal, they had a bad life. The women would have to walk five miles to get a pot of water to come back and cook and, and look after the children. They had no toilets, no healthcare, no education at all. They wouldn't send their children to school. Um, and so we realized that, OK, we've got to we've got to work on this. We've got to help this community as well, because there was no way we could separate the welfare of the bears and the welfare of the people. So we started by working with the uh, women who we found to be the more intelligent of the kalandar people. <laughs> <laughs> and we started by giving them alternative options like suing and... Uh, mm you know, knitting, embroidery and things like that because we found the men were very hostile. We would go into villages and we'd be chased out by men with axes and spears and we'd have to run out and oh jump God. in our jeep and drive off. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't easy at all because they saw us as people coming to take away the livelihoods. Yeah. And so those were the initial days, which was quite challenging for us. So then we would go back many weeks later with a headman of a different village who, whose trust we had won yeah. over. And who had confidence in us and and faith in us. So that's how we we visited all these villages. And then we realized that, okay, the key is education and and alternative livelihoods. So um, that's how it all started. And we also found that it was a very patriarchal society. The women had no, um, no voice at all. And then we did some surveys with the women. And we found that they did not even have any choices. And they basically had lots of children. And their girls were married off at the age of 10, 11, and 12 oh my God. to um, other men. So they wouldn't have the liability. So they saw the children mm-hmm. as a liability if they were girls. And if they were boys, they had to earn a buck as quickly as they could. Mm-hmm. So they would start working as uh, uh, daily wage laborers at a very young age. Mm. And we said, well, that's, that's got to be addressed. We can't, we can't have that happen. So that's when we started you know, insisting that they start sending their girls and their boys to school. And we said, well, what we would like to do is give you an opportunity. If you would be able to send your girls to school, then we would support the cost of that education. We'll also help you get the girl married off later on because they didn't want the girls married off later. They wanted them done right away. So it was cheaper for them or something. So we said, well, we'll cover those costs. And the dowry that they had to give, you know, on behalf of the girl to the bridegroom's family was like, a bed, a bicycle, you know, some utensils and and things like that, which was like maybe less than $200. And for that, we could win the freedom of that girl child for several years till she was legally manageable age, which is 18 in India. So once we empowered the women... And we started sending the children to school. They had more confidence in us. The women became second income earners. Mm -hmm. The children started getting educated. And once you're educated, you know, education is a very powerful tool. Once you're educated, you don't want to be on the street begging with animals. You know that you can be anything you want if you're educated. You can be a doctor, a pilot, an engineer. You know, you you can be anything at all. And I think that was the turning point. And then the men started, you know, we started convincing the men. uh, And we had one man who came forward and he said, "Okay." we said, you know, give us give us a chance to change your life for you. You know, and they were all very scared. They did not know any other way. They said, you know, we are scared because if we lose the bear, we have no other way of supporting our family. How will we do it? And so one man, we said, fine, trust us. And we won't let you down. And so he took the plunge and we had to help him. So we gave him a tuk-tuk or an auto rickshaw, you know, those three-wheeler yeah. things that you see. Yeah. And uh, he, he took the plunge, we gave him that, and then there was no turning back because what he was earning with the bear was, you know, on a, on a good season with tourists, he would earn maybe 20 or $30 a day. But that was like maybe four or five days in a year. Hmm. most days he was earning less than $2 or $3. Really? Uh, yeah, and, and that wasn't enough. And, uh, and when they begged from village to village, they would get grain and rice and wheat flour to take home and they would cook and feed their family with that. And it wasn't obviously sufficient. Plus, they had to roam and live a very nomadic life. Right. So the tuk-tuk or the autoriksha was giving him over, six, over 10 to $15 a day, every single day that he could work. So that was consistent income. He could stay in one place, stationary, send his kids to school, look after his family. And that constant income changed their way of life immediately, instantaneously. And he was in the envy of the entire community. Wow, this guy has gone. He doesn't have to have a nomadic life. He earns a good wage every single day, brings home enough money for his family. And that was a game changer. And after that, we had no turning back. Every family would come up and line up, to be honest, I still can't fathom how um, we at Wildlife SOS managed to raise the financial resources to help 3,000 families. I mean, it was it's a lot how of money. You, how were you raising money back then? You know, everything was a donation. And we had donors who would do house parties, get their friends together, like, you know, 30 or 40 friends together. And it would cost us $2,000 to rescue one bear. And that $2,000 was the rehabilitation package that we would give the man if he surrendered the bear willingly. Hmm. So once he surrendered the bear and he did paperwork, then we would help him uh, invest the $2,000. Back then it was about 50,000 rupees or something like that. And it would help resettle them either with a tuk-tuk, the seed funds for a tuk-tuk or a shop or any other kind of mechanism that they had an interest in. It must have been really
0: empowering for them to... Make money in a, in a in a like a, from a
1: commerce perspective, yes, it was not just empowering, but mm-hmm. also it gave them a lot of dignity and mm-hmm. pride exactly, and freedom yeah. while they retain their freedom and ownership, that they could uh, uh, they could have a business that they could call their own mm-hmm. and still um, you know earn a revenue to support their families. And I think that is what took us from strength to strength mm-hmm. uh, from one point to the other. And you know, we ended up. Rescuing 628 bears, we helped 3,000 families. We've sent over 7,500 children to school. Se- several of those children. I mean, it takes a couple of generations for such um, old practices to change. Right, and but so- it's a
0: practice that was passed down from, let's say, father to son, correct? So when you break that chain, that son is never going to learn to do that. So that's also how you guys were able to to break the chain across the board, right?
1: Absolutely. But we also had to ensure that the father, the grandfather, and the son, I mean, we had to make mm. sure that none of them uh, felt a need to go back. To go back. So right. we, we've got to, we've, we are on the second generation now, and we feel, and these days, the generations become like five years, I think, almost, instead mm-hmm. of the 10 years that it used to be in the past. Mm-hmm. So we're hoping that once these youngsters, you know, uh, can, can show their children that we didn't dance bears. Look at how we turned out. We turned out great. You know, we, our fathers danced bears, our grandfathers danced bears, but we didn't need to. And so there's no need for you to do it either. So, mm-hmm. And we're trying to ensure that all the youngsters from these villages get settled in good jobs uh, and good careers and never have the need to go back to exploiting, um, you know, wild animals, bears or any other animals so that's our goal and and I'm glad we we were able to achieve that in a short period of time I think in in about 17 years we had achieved what most people told us would not be achievable in even 50 years so we said hey we finished this pretty early we still have some life left <laughs> why yeah. the heck not do something more and that's when we took on this big challenge of, of dealing with the elephant problem in India and we hope we can make a difference there as well it's a huge challenge. Much, much, much bigger and right. uh, much more intimidating than the the bear issue was, but we are confident that we can we can make some uh, massive changes i think we 've taken some giant steps already we 've built india 's first elephant hospital yeah. we 've been able to establish the elephant conservation and care center we 've rescued uh, i think nearly forty elephants so far we have thirty three in our care at the moment, so I think we've made some, we 've made some good steps moving forward Absolutely. and uh, we hope we can, uh, we can keep that success going. Uh,
0: let's go back to the elephant hospital. I can't believe there's never been an elephant hospital in India.
1: There never has been an elephant hospital in India because elephants were always seen as animals that needed to be chained, intimidated, uh, you know, and, and forced to be treated, you know, uh, and uh, they were never seen as animals that could be trained to cooperate with medical care. And so I guess nobody realized the need. And uh, so they would just, you know, just put the elephant down on the ground and treat it wherever. And we realized that there was a huge disadvantage to that. And we started receiving elephants from the forest department that were hit by trucks. And Mm. we had to rescue them from accidents on the road where several of them didn't make it. And, Mm. uh, you know, when we realized that this was needed, it was an essential thing. We had compelling reasons to create an elephant hospital. What does the elephant hospital give you that you couldn't do before? So um, when, we, when we were providing treatment to elephants earlier, we didn't have a, a soft-floored, you know, a contained area. We didn't have a treatment area where we could have the elephant indoors, provide it care, um, have ability to get on top of an elephant mm. without having to climb it now you could really climb on the structures around the elephant yeah. and access the back the the ears the neck without having to get on the elephant and uh, those and like treat back injuries and you know spinal spinal issues and and stuff like that we could never treat those and uh, not just that to be able to keep an elephant calm contained and still do our x-rays and our ultrasound Uh, laser therapy you can't do all of that in the dust outside you need Mm. a a large contained indoor space so um, and nothing less than a hospital will will do it so we had several compelling reasons where we tried our best our very best and we did everything we could to treat elephants but without a hospital it just wasn't possible for us to give them the care that they needed and we realized that uh, you know it's time to buckle down and and get a hospital. So we raised the money and we had some very generous donors who came forward and helped us.
0: You have an incredible facility here, but obviously the goal is to not have actual animals be coming here because uh, we want to keep them in the wild. So an important part of that is um, education and trying to cut back on the demand. And you guys have been jumping full force into that as well, right?
1: Yes, um, my dream is that these facilities become empty and these animals are returned to the wild or never have to be removed from the wild to even come here in the first Mm -hmm. place. So the larger goal and vision of Wildlife SOS is to keep animals in the wild where they belong. And for that, we need to educate people. And we've launched a big campaign called Refuse to Ride and that's encouraging people to reduce demand for elephant riding and elephant entertainment, which will eventually then have a direct impact on reducing demand of illegal trafficking of elephant calves that are poached only because of this tourism demand. And it's called refuse to that's the resource website and we educate people through that. So that any tourist, anywhere in the world can go online and empower themselves by knowing what the exact fact is, the ugly truth behind elephant riding. And we also have information on this website about how they can identify an elephant that is in distress. Because most elephants that are used for riding are blind, lame, injured, and possibly even carrying tuberculosis. The people who are exploiting these elephants want to keep the tourists ignorant so they can exploit them and take their money for making them ride these elephants. So it's really important that we understand the truth behind this. And this is our goal. So I request everybody to go to refuse And if you make any social media posts, please hashtag refuse ride and hashtag wildlifeSOS as well. And we also have a strong anti-poaching division called Forest Watch. It's very low-key, but it has 24 informers across India. We gather intelligence uh, from poachers and traffickers about what's going on, and then work with the enforcement authorities, confiscating the contraband or rescuing live animals. It could be pangolins, uh, tiger skin, tiger bone, live leopard cubs, live bear cubs, baby birds, tortoises, turtles, anything. It could be any of these things, and we've been able to... Uh, do that quite successfully. Of course, it can be very frustrating and sometimes depressing when we go down this path because not always is there success. There can be frustrating moments where you have failures, where the traffickers learn and suspect something or information leaks and they disappear. And then you've spent months and months gathering intel, aligning an operation and then it all falls apart and then you have to start all over again. So it can be depressing and frustrating and painful, but you just have to get up, shake the dust off and move on again and, and get back on track. So yeah, it's, it's taught me that you just, giving up is just not an option ever. You have a lot of work cut out for you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we can't give up and we just continue with that with that battle. I mean, we've got to see ourselves as warriors for the planet and just not give up, you know. You've got to just do or die. Hopefully we die after we do. <laughs> that's the goal i also encourage people to come and volunteer with us so volunteering is a very big part Mm -hmm. of our educational program so we encourage people to come and work with us for a week or more and we try and keep the cost very low so people can get an opportunity to come have a vacation while Mm -hmm. also doing fun stuff with the elephants and the bears and they uh, volunteers who come and work with us get a opportunity to work shoulder to shoulder with our keepers and our staff on the ground they also get a chance to know more about the organization become an ambassador and when they leave from here they leave empowered with knowledge and information about the elephants the bears conservation issues in india and they can go out there and and become a voice for these animals a voice for wildlife SOS. And that's what we constantly encourage people to do. So all they have to do is email us on volunteer at org and get information about it. Yeah, I've been here all week. And not only is it thrilling to be
0: close to the animals and observe them, but to actually participate in the work and do the chopping and the lifting. And it's 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 just incredible to to really be exposed to all the work that it takes just to keep this animal alive and thriving and it really underscores how unnatural it is for an animal to not be in the wild
1: absolutely it reminds me every single day makes me very sad like some of our special needs elephants like susie you know whose molars have have uh, deteriorated to such an extent because of the abuse she, she faced We now have to make special vegetable shakes and fruit shakes for her uh, using a food processor so she can actually ingest and get nutrition. And all of these are because people have abused these animals. And yes, you're absolutely right. It shouldn't be this way. But now that it is, we've got to do something and make a difference to those animals at the same time.
0: Yeah, I think that is the the biggest challenge for reframing how people celebrate an an animal without giving in to your desires to touch it and to have it confined and to interact with it.
1: Yeah, I think we've got to, it's very important for people to understand that dogs and cats and domestic animals, you know, have had a history and evolutionarily they've been, you know, confined and they've become man's pets. But we've got to understand that wild animals are not like that. And, you know, uh, sometimes people might want to cuddle an elephant or touch it or something like that. But we've got to overcome that Mm -hmm. desire and start wanting to see elephants and other wild animals doing what they want to do.
0: I wish there was an easier way to have people really understand how did this elephant even get here in the first place? you know, something as simple as going to a circus even. Like, how do you think that animal got trained? But people, uh, we, we're not typically exposed to that. And I think all people don't want to be exposed to that. And it kind of shatters their their fairy tale of this creature that's perfectly content to be entertaining or perfectly content to be just taking, you know, their photo with you. And I just think that's the biggest challenge. If we could just find a way to 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 get people to actually see, be willing to see. I think it's the willingness.
1: Yeah, I mm-hmm. think everybody should ask. I think it's, it's eventually the questions that will educate people. People should ask. Don't hesitate to ask mm-hmm. yourself. And research. If you see an animal in a circus, if you see it in a temple, if you see it on a fort, taking people for rides, find out. Ask questions. Where did it come from? Usually you will only get lies. You get a lot of falsehoods. But then if you dig deep enough, you will find out, find out the truth. Mm-hmm. And that truth will be ugly. It won't be nice. But it will teach you what the truth is. And right. you can then avoid that and, and educate other mm-hmm. people about it.
0: And that's why it's so important to have people like you. And like you said, every single person that comes here becomes an ambassador, becomes that voice. Because uh, no one will know if you don't tell them.
1: Yes. That's, uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's really important for everyone to come, see what we're doing at Wildlife SOS and uh, go out and be an ambassador for these animals. You know, we've got to be their voice.
0: Yeah, I was talking to someone the other day and we're saying how animals' biggest downfall is that they can't speak, they can't express. And if we could actually hear, if they could tell us what they were feeling, you know, because when we look at them, they're, for instance, uh, someone might ride an elephant and think, well, this elephant seems totally content just to take me on a ride. It's not... Screaming, it's not um, reacting, it's just walking in a circle. But if we could hear their voice, if they could actually tell us, we wouldn't. Just like a human, a human would say, Hey, if you were kidnapped, if you were being abused, and you were standing in front of that person, they could tell you that. But of course. these animals are living in fear and they can't speak to us.
1: And that's what every one of us has to understand. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, if, if people were more understanding of what these animals went through, when they write them or when they see them at at various places, I think it would bring an end to so much of abuse and cruelty in the world, where it's all about changing mindsets and and getting people to understand that.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Well, thank you for being that voice. It's a pleasure to be that voice, and it's a delight that I have a purpose, and um, it's very fulfilling. I, I try to see everything as a glass half full rather than half empty, and I, I believe, I'm a firm believer in, in positive thinking and that, you know, when you, when you really feel that something is impossible, you can make it possible. And, and yeah, I, I believe that nothing is impossible. I, I, I believe that, you know, when you need to get something done, ask and, you know, thou shalt receive.
0: Yeah, You were just telling me earlier on the deck about uh, what you did with Amazon. Can you tell that story again?
1: Of course. Um, we rescued a baby bear who had been trapped in a snare and sadly her mother was also trapped in a snare and she died uh, in the snare from our in from our investigation we found out that there were a bunch of snares available on amazon in india on the online platform we were quite shocked and we contacted amazon immediately and we said well there's this bunch of snares and traps and all kinds of things that are lethal." It's illegal in India because we have the Wildlife Protection Act that bans uh, killing of any wild animal. And despite that, why are these products on, on sale? And we didn't hear back from them. So we started a petition. And this petition was really inspired by this baby bear that we rescued. Her name is Rose. And when we rescued her, it was very sad. She had a very badly mangled leg. She would use her snout as a leg because she had a fourth missing leg. She had three legs and a snout. That's how she would kind of move around. It was very touching, very emotional, but it was very, so. her leg was so badly mangled by the snare that we had to amputate it so she could stay safe and to save her life. And um, so we had to start a petition that was inspired by Rose. We call it the Rose petition for Amazon. <laughs> but uh, this petition got thousands and thousands of signatures. If I remember right, it's over 50,000 signatures that we got. And we sent that to Amazon. So they got 50,000 emails from people around the world who did not like that Amazon was selling these snares on their um, platform. And in a very short period of time, I think if I'm not mistaken, in less than 24 hours, we had the lawyers of Amazon sitting in our office saying, you know, we're a responsible company. We don't want to do this. What, what, what needs to be done? And so we said, well, we, we are not here to sue you or uh, get damages from you. All we want is that you take these items off your inventory. So they're not up there being available for anyone who wants to get these snares and use them for these animals. And it helped. In, in less than 48 hours, they had taken all of those items off. I think, if, I'm remember, if I remember right, it was a couple of hundred items. And uh, I, I must say that to give Amazon full credit, they took those items off the inventory in record time. And, I've, you know, it made me very pleased. Rose was very pleased as well. And uh, what is most fulfilling about this whole incident is that Rose today is a happy three-legged sloth bear but she has adapted so well to the environment in the bear rehabilitation center that we have she has a huge forested enclosure she has other bears like elvis and uh, Mm -hmm. other friends that she has in her enclosure and she effortlessly climbs 30 40 feet tall trees and it's probably the fastest, quickest climber amongst all the bears over there, yeah. despite being a three-legged climber.
0: Yeah, I, I saw her yesterday. I didn't realize that she even had three legs. And she was climbing and climbing and climbing, and Elvis was trying to get up, and she basically told him to get to back off. It's amazing.
1: Yeah, I think she can beat Elvis in a climbing competition, <laughs> hands down, any day, despite having only three legs. So yeah. that was, that's a good ending to that story. Yeah. But uh, it it shows that, you know, when... Most people, when we spoke with them, they said, oh, that's Amazon. How are we going to take them on? It's a, it's a big giant. We said, well, let's just ask, you know, mm-hmm. and ask. We, we asked them nicely. It was a petition. The petition yeah. went out and it made a huge difference. You just, you get shit done. Yes, I think that's, <laughs> that's one thing about wildlife as well as, you know, if we decide to do something, we're pretty perseverant. We yeah. just get down and get the job done. And then on to the next yep absolutely Uh, we don't have time to linger on for too long so we mm. try to get down get the job done and move forward
0: you said earlier you're a half glass full kind of guy so tell me about your hope for not just wildlife sos but for the animals of india and uh, the people here
1: my hope and my vision is that wildlife sos will continue to grow each day and be very successful in changing the minds of people in everything that it does. We have a huge facility every place in India. We want great infrastructure and facilities so we can help animals in distress, while also letting people understand that you can make a difference if you want to. And so we continue to grow this army into tens of thousands of people who will continue to help animals every single day, and I, I hope to have a rhino conservation breeding center, uh, by conservation breeding centers, centers for breeding and protecting and restoring populations of pangolins and wolves and bears, um, rhinos and elephants. And uh, yeah, I, I won't give up till my last breath. Uh, I won't give up dreaming and I won't give up doing. And I believe that people will change every human being has a small spot of kindness and some bigger even the most evil people i think have have something in them or the most tough the tougher people have something in them that we can appeal to and um, and i hope we can find that in every single person and they have a change of heart and and convert and and help us help wildlife sos to achieve its goals of of protecting animals and this planet i mean that's that's my goal and hope for everybody, including the people and the animals. And uh, I hope we can make a difference every single day, every minute we <laughs> I can get over ambitious and get carried <laughs> away. So yeah, forgive me for I that. I
0: love that about you. You think big and you do big. So keep doing what you're doing. Thank you. If you'd like to learn more about Wildlife SOS and how you can support the research, rescue, and long-term care of the elephants, bears, leopards, and other wildlife at our sanctuaries, please visit wildlifesos.org. Find me, Rachel Hinman, on Instagram at awillxaway. We hope this podcast series helps brighten your day and warm your heart with the tremendous impact we can make together. Thanks for listening.